This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Get to market, make decisions and, and move quickly. And we try and tell the students to trust the process and be comfortable with how quickly things change. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I'm your host, Jonathan Fishman. I'm VP Marketing here at Stormhaven, and I'm really, really excited to have here with me today, Jerome Turnbull, uh, who's the VP Growth at AppLevin. Hey. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself a bit? Sure. Um, uh, I, I lead our first party uh, user acquisition and growth team at AppLovin. I get to work with studios across the world, a uh, talented team of media buyers and analysts. Um, thanks for having me. For sure. Uh, I want to talk a bit about your path here. You have uh, a lot of experience in the mobile industry. How you got to be VP Growth at AppLovin? Where did you start and when was it? Yeah, um, it's it's been quite a ride. Uh, started it, first first job in the mobile industry was at an agency called Fixu, and uh, I worked there. I uh, got an opportunity to come out to California and work for Disney, Disney Mobile, um, launching a lot of their games. That was a lot of uh, free games uh, that would convert to paid. Uh, so it was an interesting interesting time shooting up the charts, getting a lot of visibility on launches. Joined Machine Zone, uh, I believe 2014. Been there quite a while, and uh, luckily in in May we uh, were able to join the Apple Eleven family. And um, coming up on two years now, uh, it's been um, it's been interesting moving from working at Machine Zone, where there was one style of game that we were marketing for a long time, and now there's the opportunity to work across all the different categories in the App Store. Amazing. Um... So, so how is the growth team structured uh, right now in AppLevin, like the first party uh, gaming uh, growth team? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, most of the, the studios that we uh, end up working with or signing a partnership, there, there usually is some form of user acquisition. You kind of have to in order to survive in the space. So with those studios, it's, it's a split. There's an in-house studio team. And then there's uh, my team that acts as a central service and we provide support where it's needed. That usually includes the AppLovin network, um, but you know there are some other channels that uh, we've developed expertise to support. Um, some of the studios we just do the whole stack, um, all UA, all monetization. Got it. Um, cool. So so let's start by discussing uh, how uh, how or thi- how things are basically. With uh, it's been maybe a year, um, about a year since iOS 14.5 came out and shook the industry. Um, and you have a lot of interesting perspective because you have the ad network perspective and the publisher perspective. And um, so, so let's, let's basically review like uh, what happened and, and how it affected uh, you guys basically from, from both directions. Yeah, I think it was, 
specifically iOS 14.6, a few few mm. weeks after it was released, maybe June. Um, but they started to push the automatic update to everyone. Yeah. And that we really started to see things change. Like it was slowly, we were tracking kind of the consent, non-consent leading up to that point. And then you really hit an, an inflection point there. We were ready in the sense that, you know, how ready could you be for this? Uh, but, you know, we've been preparing a lot of our ad monetization waterfalls to handle these two different sort of um, uh, paths where their IDFA was present and where it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the team had been doing some SK ad network buying. Um, we've learned a lot uh, in that, you know, since that time frame and just continually understanding how the networks are also using these signals in order to buy. Yeah. I, I think that, like, what do you think about SK ad network? Uh, these days, somebody that I can't name told me <laughs> recently uh, yeah. that uh, there isn't a single company in the world that actually rely on SKAD network as like a viable tool for making decisions. It's a media buying tool, but there are other things that you have to use to understand your business. Um, so it's it's one data set. I don't think it can be the only one in some cases. Yeah, for sure. And and in terms of like the the shift that we, that at least we we've been seeing from a lot of our partners who are some of the largest uh, game companies and and app companies in the world. Um, first of all, there was a huge shift towards Android, but still until this, this day, although there's some kind of rebalancing happening right now, but it's still early on. Uh, a huge shift away from self-attributing networks. I think Facebook was uh, the main one that folks uh, shifted away from. Uh, which makes a lot of a lot of sense because a lot of their targeting was based on uh, their user graph, which was IDFA based, um, and the the quality of their of their data quickly deteriorated. Um, so it took some time, but uh, like in the last earnings call, Facebook mentioned that they uh, uh, estimated the the hit to, to the top line would be ten billion dollars, and they lost like twenty five percent of their market cap uh, that day. Um, so why do you think like folks are shifting so quickly into ad networks such as App11? Well, oh, yeah, there's uh, we have, we've observed a lot of changes uh, in Facebook buying over the past few years. It used to be a very granular targeting with you know hundreds or even thousands of campaigns, and slowly that got consolidated down into um, a few campaigns. Now it's reflected with their automated app ads product, which has done well, uh, and then you have you know. SCAD coming in with that. So there are limitations um, in that. And I think, uh, you know, why would people go to the, the networks? I think there's um, there's good access or uh, there, there's kind of good consistency and performance in a lot of the uh, network of gaming apps. Um, and, you know, Facebook, I think, has really doubled down on what they have on platform is the term that they use. So that's whether that's on feed or, or the types of games that are kind of hooked into their system. Um, so these networks that you're describing, um, are, are a viable way to access kind of the, those network of gaming apps. For sure. And, and there, there was, you know, a certain strategy that was employed by, by several players in, in the market, not a lot, cause not, not a lot of players exist that can, that can do it, but, uh, basically to build what Eric Suford from, uh, mobile dev memo calls, uh, content fortresses to basically accumulate, uh, a lot of first party data, uh, be it through ad networks that have a pretty significant um, mobile publishing business, and then they own a lot of, of apps and games. Um, and from the other side, I think it, 
it actually happened once, but uh, the, the, one of the most significant uh, game companies uh, in the U.S. actually acquired uh, an ad network. So we saw it happening from the other side as well. But uh, what, what's the logic behind uh, that move, in your opinion? No, I think the industry is in a mature state now where um, these sort of acquisitions naturally happen. Uh, and there are just opportunities available. There were also a lot of tough, I think, economic factors happening um, that may have contributed to uh, some of these companies being kind of in a position to be part of a larger organization. Mm-hmm. And there are benefits too, obviously, you know, that the, the companies uh, like Machine Zone, for example, was acquired. Um, now we're part of this family where um, we get to work across all these different games and, and kind of bring some of these technologies in um, to what was already existing at Apple. Yeah. But, but but do you think there's also value in terms of the data? I mean, basically, um, getting access to first party data, you can still use it uh, for for targeting. Do you think that's the way that uh, the industry would go? Basically, create um, you know, I, I won't uh, mention any names of specific game publishers, sure. but like some of them basically announced uh, pretty publicly. Um, that one of their businesses would be to create a huge audience and then offer to third-party uh, advertisers to advertise to their audience and build like their own ad tech technology, um, either through acquisition or or in-house. But do you think that basically it's like a run for who has the 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 biggest audience with the most diverse apps, so they have the most data about uh, uh, who these people actually are, and then of course uh, offer advertisement uh, to to that audience? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's content. You can think about this and maybe like the streaming services and how many mm-hmm. of those are showing up now rather than kind of working within other models. They want to create their own sort of um, systems of growth so that I think you could probably apply that sort of view to the mobile industry. Um, it's interesting. You can take a look. Like we, our studios still kind of exist on their own. I think that's a very, that's something that um, is important to the studios to have their own ownership and, and feeling of autonomy. And you'll see that um, our studios still are separate developer accounts uh, on the app store. So, mm-hmm. um, others, you know, there's definitely value in having that data. If you were to have everyone under one account, you know, with the same IDFB, there's some benefits to it. But we've also seen that you know who's doing that? Netflix, basically, with their own uh, venture into gaming uh, recently. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Way to bring it back to the streaming again. I mean, there's, there's, it's just these kind of these content platforms. So. Yeah, it's it's just um, I, I just think that after this huge shock the industry uh, took with iOS fourteen point five, it basically stimulated a lot of thinking about um, the importance of actually owning an audience. And another uh, uh, talk track or thought track, which was um, how do we actually uh, think about this distribution again? Like, can we actually rely? that uh, deeply on on Apple and uh, and then, of course, Google that also announced their own uh, guidelines recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Netflix, I mean, it's a really innovative and, and creative way of uh, thinking about it, but their strategy is, is really cool because if you think about it, the amount of daily active users or monthly active users that Netflix have um, and the fact that they own, I mean, they, they own the app so they know which games they can surface at the yeah. top to, you know, a lot. I think it's like almost, I uh, can't remember the, the exact number, but it's like more than 100 million uh, users that actually see it in the app and then they can drive s- such insane traffic that uh, that if they focus on that, they can, they don't need Apple 
to basically promote their apps and, and getting featured and all of that. They, they control the distribution through an asset that they own. So I think that's uh, really creative. Yeah, Netflix as an example that you highlight, they've, they've done an amazing job in their recommendation engine. Um, and it's, it's been something where there's a, a bunch of A-B testing happening there. What sort of images, what order are you seeing things, what recommendations are there? And, and that's mm-hmm. very similar to the sort of decision-making processes that a mobile gaming companies or mobile companies need to make when they go out and they, they try and acquire users or they try and keep them engaged in their games. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a good, uh, analogy that you have there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that certain game publishers, uh, at least those with a huge portfolio of, of games and IP, um, can follow the same steps. I mean, they can create, uh, with cross promotion and they, they can basically create their own, uh, again, fortress to basically own a, a better, uh, own in a better way distribution of their, of their games instead of relying on Apple. Cause it's it's just not going anywhere. I mean, if you look at Google and what they announced with with Google Play and the privacy sandbox, uh, it's it's coming everywhere. I mean, the 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 kind of suggestions that and proposal that Google have put in place in terms of uh, privacy, in my view, are like half of them are are better than Apple, and they definitely are more transparent about it. And they given the industry about. I would say uh, two years uh, before they implement it, which is uh, a solid amount of time. Uh, but the way that they actually um, propose to to implement privacy is a bit more aggressive. Uh, with, for example, with SDKs, they propose to have a, a separate runtime environment for SDKs that need to to get approved, so they don't really have access to a lot of user level data, and and they'll be able to enforce it uh, way better than uh, than Apple. So um, it's not really going anywhere. And, and I think that a lot of game publishers and, and actually C-level and leadership need to think about uh, distribution um, very, very carefully in, in the next few years. Um, do you... So, okay, so let's talk a bit about uh, how you're driving growth across uh, different mobile game categories. I mean, uh, how many categories are you active in? I mean, what type of games... Uh, you have in, in the first party gaming business? I'd like to think everywhere except for maybe paid apps. Uh, that's probably... <laughs> but in terms, of, in terms of genres, like it's IP, it's casual. I'm, I'm not that... I'm not sure even the listeners sure. are that familiar with the portfolio. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, so casual, uh, we have, I would say, match three games or maybe adventure style games. Uh, Magic Tavern is one of our uh, most successful studios. Belka, another one. You know, Machine Zone, um, mm-hmm. some of our strategy games. Um, uh, West Game is another one from a studio in China, uh, Leishan. And we've got Casino. We've got to play in there. We've got Lion Studios with hyper-casual games. Um, I don't know. What categories are we missing? We've got Word Puzzle, People Fun. Um, <laughs> Amazing. No, the kind yeah. of, like, I'm, I'm just thinking about the kind of insights and data you can, you can extract yeah, it- as a marketer by, by just learning, like, all these different flavors of, of mobile marketing for different genres, which are pretty different. So it's uh, really cool. I mean, I'd, I'd say even though you have these different categories of games or these audiences that you speak mm-hmm. to, the way that that I've, or, I've approached it, and I, I think the team kind of organizes their thought is about how the games monetize. Um, mm. And there are kind of three main venues that I'm familiar with. There's the traditional IAP route and app purchase where the game is generally, let's say, 67% more 
making it from these uh, frequent recurring purchases. You've got ads. Those tend to be more on the casual side of um, some games or hyper-casual specifically, uh, as well as kind of the word puzzle category. And then there's there's a newer one, subscription. It's a different model. Um, not, not as popular in gaming. You see that sometimes in the passes that are there, but let's say uh, lifestyle sort of apps where you have a, a yearly or a, a monthly subscription. And, and that's just kind of how... Those are the kind of acquisition strategies and, and how the, the, the model of the business model works that you have to think about approaching the games differently, not so much as like, oh, it's a casino game versus a, a match three game. How does that impact the way that, that you market these the different, like a subscription-based game and the, an in-app purchase-based uh, uh, game? Yeah, I mean, a subscription-based game, you're looking for one event that happens usually seven days or maybe 14 days in after the trial. Um, and then you're going to have some recurring purchase maybe a year later, but that's kind of so far, just so far in the future, you're probably not even going to include those in your numbers that you're looking at to make that first purchase uh, efficient, the economics of it to work. Whereas an IP game, you kind of have a little bit more predictability because these purchases happen maybe on a weekly or bi-weekly basis whenever you get your paycheck or something like that. Um, yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, sure. And then ads probably, you know, it's like, it's maybe a shorter time frame where because... People will churn out. You want to get your money back, uh, earn your money back. Yeah, I think it's the most predictable because it doesn't really matter who is the person because retention is, is pretty low in this type of, like in the hyper-casual space at least. So it's pretty predictable uh, and less dependent on who the person is and all the way to what you said regarding subscriptions, which is yeah. more... Um, How frequent is the kind of monetization happening? And as you're saying, the ads... There, there are more signals coming back in an ads game where you can have retention metrics or you, you know how many ads you're watching, things like that. So how do you see um, um, game marketing and, and UA teams or based on the work that you've been doing, uh, deal with the challenges that are actually in the other side of the spectrum where uh, the game actually depends on, you know, it's a term from uh, casino games, but whales or like really big spenders, uh, and their percentage in, in, in the population is not that high. Um, in the past, in the old world, uh, it was pretty straightforward because folks would uh, communicate that with an ad network, let's say even Facebook. Uh, these are the people that they want. They would create a, a lookalike audience of people that um, with a very high probability uh, are similar to, this, to these folks. And that's the audience you would advertise for. So um, how, how do you see like folks solving the challenges of... Um, finding these really high quality people uh, these days. Yeah, I think I think you're referring to people specifically or advertisers specifically targeting known whales uh, across the system and now mm-hmm. without the, the ability to do that on um, some platforms or some, some some networks it's made it difficult uh, to acquire those users. So um, you know, I the experience that I've had is Games that are more broad or mass market appeal are easier uh, to to buy for at these points compared to maybe something that you're going after uh, very high value users. Um, so that that could affect, let's say, the casino space. It could also make it more challenging for um, you know some of these forex hardcore strategy games to acquire users. Yeah, for sure. It's also I actually. Saw the same instance with, with an app. The, it was an app for um, it's like half a game, half an app. It was to teach uh, folks piano. Like you have a piano and you can play it. And um, and then uh, and first of all, 
their entire acquisition funnel depends on the fact if somebody has a piano or not, which makes it way worse. And then they can try it out. And uh, the subscription, as you said, happens, I think, 10 days or a week, or 14 days after. And um, uh, and that's what really prevented them uh, from relying on SK Ad Network because the event was too late for them to get the signal back. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, definitely... A- I mean, that's, that's interesting because you need to have a piano or an interest in piano. So I don't know if there was the concept of like, this device ID or this advertising ID has a piano, right? I mean, you, I'm, I'm confident. Contextual things there already, but I'm, I'm confident that somewhere at, at Facebook uh, servers, <laughs> they, a user graphic existed that said uh, that they have a guitar. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Oh, I, yeah. but I mean that, that sort of information that, that someone has shared on the platform, and that that still exists. If you know, if you wanted to serve an ad to someone that has an interest in Fender guitars, uh, you know that. That's still available, but I think yeah, you're yeah. bringing up an example where maybe it's a very niche app, maybe it's a health app or something that is kind of specific to a population where you know advertising on a game in interstitial might not be the, you know the most efficient way, and you have to find some other clever ways. Um, whether it's kind of working with content or channels that are that are relevant to the app's product, for sure. So, you know, a coloring game, a hidden object game, the, I can see some similarities between kind of the action that a user is taking uh, in those sort of games or, you know, kind of the, the mechanic of them, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so by going the, the custom product page, without going too far off of the kind of true, you know, nature of the game, that's not the right word, but like the true feeling of the game, you can position it in a way to then make it more uh, relevant to that audience. So um, maybe it makes sense for them to integrate some of those elements directly uh, into June's journey or have a mini game that has some sort for of sure. aspect, right? And then, you know, foreground that in the tutorial, run some tests, have a custom product page so that there's a kind of connection or thread from the ad to the page to the experience in the game. Um, mm-hmm. How far along are they? Have they shared any results? It's a Sounds like amazing. Yeah, they're they're actually they're like full disclosure. They're our clients, so uh, they're they're we we, we see. I mean, we see great results. We can't really share uh, exact numbers, but uh, but yeah, they're they're doing really great work. What I like about it is it just pushes uh, the mobile marketing space into. um, Okay, I say it differently. Like the the past few years, like the the lookalike era with uh, like reporting in-app events to uh, Facebook, I would call it. Uh, it actually made a lot of marketers, um, I don't know, very very lazy. I would say they didn't think a lot. Of, yeah, because because they didn't think a ton about like who is that audience, who is that lookalike audience. Like if I would put them in a room, would they know anything about them besides like very you know, surface level uh, persona type of, uh, of, of um, you know, kind of bullet points of who they are. You know, Jenny, 40 years old, lives in the UK, plays uh, uh, match three games. It's, it's like they didn't know a lot about their audience. And now they're doing a lot of really great audience research uh, that they never did before, not to that extent. And the results are fantastic, even without that targeting capability. So I really like the, the way that this pushes them mobile marketing industry towards. Um, I want to ask you about um, uh, basically how, um, how do you think about like partnerships for your first party gaming business and, and what kind of tools and solutions uh, App11 provides uh, to, to these developers to grow? Um, 
Well, for the first party side, uh, we try and look at like what what the studio needs, and then tailor and tailor um, our product or a suite of products to them. So, one customer uh, type is someone that has it all down; they just want to scale, right? So uh, we can help out there, uh, whether it's through the Apple of the network or um, maybe they want to scale up their, their ads monetization. So we have technology or things on the platform that they can use and there, there's a benefit there. The other side is maybe, hey, I'm a game creator. I'm not really a business person so much. I don't want to handle, oh, I don't know, finance, legal, all these sort of things. Um, that's another customer type that we, we support with them. And so those are kind of more, not tech, but more kind of soft services that we provide. So like, you know, my team, for instance, would provide them guidance on um, how to do ASO, things like that. or uh, partner with our our Spark Labs team, which uh, is our in-house creative studio. Cool. Um, and uh, can you do, do you want to talk a bit about some of our audience or like game developers that are looking uh, for help, perhaps, um, and for that kind of partnership? So, um, do, do you deal with like basically ASO, UA? What type of uh, solutions do you provide to to these developers? Um, you know, we have we have a team in-house, so. A lot of ASO is first the localization, making sure you're ready for uh, all the all the key markets, and then prioritizing down that. Running different tests. It used to be just Google Play. Now we can run some tests on uh, on Apple. And you know, Store Maven has had a great, still has a great product in terms of being able to uh, to get these insights uh, mm-hmm. where we were not able to in the past uh, as cleanly on iOS side. So kudos to you guys. We've used used that product. Um, Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, A-B testing. There are some things we can point them in the in the right direction of licensing on Delta DNA, for instance, or Firebase, or maybe using some of their own uh, organic software to answer those questions. Um, so I, I think if there's a question, we work with these first-party studios to say, hey, these are the options. This is what, you know, we've seen work, but it, it's it's different for every developer. Got it. Cool. So we are running a bit out of time, but I want to ask you a few questions we ask all of our guests. Um, so the first one is, if you could give just one tip uh, to an aspiring mobile growth marketer, uh, somebody that wants to get into the industry these days, after everything that happened, uh, what would it be? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the first thing I, I think is that I've seen with a lot of developers that, that we worked with is there's a lot of time spent in the research stage. Um, and it's important to to know what you know what your audience is or what you're building, but also it's get to market, um, make make decisions, and, and move quickly. And um, kind of we try and tell the students to trust the process and be comfortable with how quickly things change. So examples of when you launch and maybe you're doing a technical beta in some country on the other side of the world, and you're there for too long. Um, you want to get into the market where things are going to be real and you can validate a lot of the assumptions that you have. Great. Uh, and in terms of like a content recommendation, uh, what's your favorite mobile growth resource? Like somebody that you follow or read? Yeah, uh, I I like to run. So whenever I'm either on the treadmill or running outside, I like to listen to uh, Deconstructor or Fun. Oh, that's yeah. a great, that's a great podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually recommended, uh, we're sending out a newsletter uh, today and we're actually recommended a, a really, really cool uh, episode there around um, 
getting um, soft launch right. I think it's with mm. uh, Wuga as well. Yeah, so ch- yeah, check it out. That's uh, I will check that out. It goes back to what we we're just talking about. Yeah, market. Where are you going to soft launch? Trying to get to definitely. Uh, yeah. Um, and the most important question: What is your favorite flavor of pancake? I got. I'll, I'll share two. One is right. chocolate pancakes. We'd always have that at Thanksgiving with my my family. But my mother's Korean. Uh, there's a Korean pancake called pachon, which is uh, a scallion. Pancake. Oh wow! What what's that? Yeah, I mean, it, there's different versions. It could have seafood in it, but uh, it's a it's a fried pancake that you have probably at dinner or lunch. Awesome! I have to try it. Yes, I, yeah, was, right I was waiting for so many episodes for like uh, non. Uh, um, you know, banana and maple or uh, bacon and maple answer. That was uh, fantastic. I'm going to try that. Yeah, definitely more on the savory yeah. side for this one. So Awesome. Um, and lastly, where can people find you if they want to reach out and talk about uh, anything related to mobile growth, marketing, just that's a chat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm in uh, the Dallas, Fort Worth area, um, so, which is in Texas in the United States. Yeah. Uh, Austin is nearby. It's three hours. It's a pretty hot town. I'd sometimes go down there for the conferences. There are more and more than happening in the mobile space. Um, LinkedIn. And um, if you want to know more about App Lovin, about the tools and services that we have, uh, you can also check out our blog uh, and our website. Awesome. Uh, and, and the links would be in the description of the episode. So you can find them there and uh, go visit uh, App Lovin website. So uh, thank you very much. That's been a pleasure. Um, I'm uh, really excited to speak with somebody that has such a great perspective on the industry. And, and I think you're in a really unique position because you have the ad network perspective and the publisher perspective. Uh, so it's really insightful. Thank you. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for having me on. Um, and uh, yeah, hope, hope we can do this again sometime. For sure. Talk to you soon. Thanks. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve App Store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.